It's Friday, and we are working for Crusoe. Sam Park and John Ramey with you, back after a Bastille Day hiatus. So hello to everybody after two weeks. Today, we are going to cover the grain deal that first Russia uh, has backed out of, and then Ukraine has responded. Um, This could be calamitous, catastrophic for the developing world if it becomes, and it looks like it will be, more difficult for grain to leave Ukraine, which is one of the great breadbaskets of the world. We will also catch up on some stories that have transpired since our last episode two weeks ago. Update on the South China Sea and China's claims to those waters has been kind of, uh, there's been a ruling and a and a reemphasis of that ruling by an international body that has rejected China's claims. John Kerry went to China, the third high-level cabinet person visiting China this summer. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, along with Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen, both visiting earlier this summer. John Kerry, the climate envoy, guru, envoy but yes. guru yeah. is the word that regular people uh, might use. Yeah, I, okay. Climate czar. How about yeah. that, Sam? I, I st- I'm still going with envoy here. Envoy, fine. It's French. Um, Turkey has decided to let Sweden into NATO. That's exciting. Yes. And uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky also had some words for NATO. Uh, and then we have inflation data that is generally positive. So it's a cornucopia of uh, economics and international affairs news, Sam Park. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Inflation. Um, this story came out last week in the United States, but I just want to point out uh, consumer prices in Britain. Uh, that report came out more recently. Uh, inflation slowing down there. Oh, good for them. Yeah. Uh, beat uh, predicted uh, consumer price uh, uh, gains, right? Uh, U.S. annual inflation uh, slowed down to 3% last month, according to the latest consumer price index. Uh, that was released uh, by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, that is a sharp cool down, in the words of the Associated Press, from June of last year. Correct. Uh, last June was a terrible spike, the worst since uh, November 1981. So yes. things continue to get better um, with regard to inflation in this country, where it has not been as bad as it has been overseas. Well, in, in Europe, then. Yes. Right. Uh, I mean, in China, they, they, they're flirting with deflation. Right. Uh, but that's an entirely different story. Just to sum up, uh, I don't I mean. You know, we talk about inflation a lot. It can be a little dry, so I don't want to uh, dwell on this too long. This was far and away the steepest decrease of inflation since this latest inflationary episode began last year. Uh, So it's good news for the American economy. Uh, uh, Core inflation is still a little sticky, but I read in the most recent issue of The Economist, that is last week's issue of The Economist, that if you factor out housing costs, uh, core inflation also fell a little bit. Now, why should you factor out housing costs? I can't actually think of a good reason why you would want to do that. But the, the point is that uh, as far as physical goods go, goods and services, that is, uh, even core inflation, apart from housing, is also falling. This is also good news. And so many of the uh, professional forecasters are 
downgrading their expectations of a recession later this year, although I should say not all of them, right? Some of them are still sticking with the uh, recession prediction. Uh, and so we'll have to see how this affects the Fed's interest rate decisions when the open market committee meeting meets next week. So we'll get to talk more about inflation next week. I just wanted to make sure we sort of got this out of the way uh, in the beginning because, you know, again, we'll, we talk about inflation frequently. We'll be talking about it again next week. Uh, we've given you the sort of highlights of of what this all means. One thing I would just add, though, is that uh, the Fed's target rate for inflation is 2%. It's now down to 3%, right? That means that prices are still rising 50% faster than the Fed would like. Now, of course, that's much better than 700% faster than uh, which it was last year. But I have a feeling that that last 1% might be the toughest to get to get past just because, as we've discussed before, I think some of the, the there would be some prices that would be permanently sticky. Of course, remember, the Fed broke a string of 10 consecutive interest rate hikes by choosing not to hike in their last meeting, their last yes. action. It is expected, published Four, reports expect, yeah. that another a quarter point hike is coming next week. So that's Yes, and there's some speculation as to whether or not there will be an additional one this year, as the Fed has said that they intend to do. We'll have to see how that all works out. NATO. Yes. Now, uh, the NATO summit began uh, on July 10th, and the day before, uh, or the eve on the eve of the summit, that is, uh, Turkey announced that they would no longer block the entry of Sweden into the NATO alliance. Uh, this was surprising to many people. Uh, that I just want to confirm, Turkey had a gripe with Sweden because Turkey was trying to get Sweden to extradite some people they considered terrorists. Yes, Kurdish separatists. Right. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so Sweden is going, well, that is to say, President Erdogan said that he would allow a measure uh, letting Sweden into NATO to enter the Tur Tur Turkish parliament. There would be a vote in parliament. And of course, I think everybody knows that if, if Erdogan says it's okay, the parliament's going to vote it through. Mind you, the Turkish parliament is on summer recess, as are, you know, just like any sensible parliament. So the uh, they'll have, we'll have to wait a few weeks for them to come back into session to approve this measure. But everyone expects that it will happen. And But many people were wondering, well, wh why the sudden reversal uh, of this policy on Turkey's part? I was watching the... Uh, France 24 debate program on Monday, July 10th. And there was a uh, scholar from Chatham House that the British think tank on there. Her name was Samantha DeBendern. And she floated a what she characterized as a rumor uh, that there had been a phone call between Erdogan and Vladimir Putin uh, and that this phone call did not go at all well. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, but now... That is juicy gossip. It is, yeah. But she was the only person, right, in all the commentary I saw about the NATO summit, which, mind you, is a lot of commentary. Uh, she was the only person to talk about this rumored phone call, and she was careful to say to describe it as a rumored call. So we have no confirmation from her or anybody else 
that this phone call actually took place. But I want to put a pin in this phone call for our later discussion today. Okay. Uh, So then, uh, as the summit progressed, uh, the alliance did not give Ukraine a clear timetable for joining the alliance, even after the war is ended. Just to zoom back out a little bit, Sweden and Finland, the minute Russia has moved on Ukraine, have said, oh, we would like to be in NATO after Sweden and Finland had spent the whole Cold War NATO neutral, for lack of a better term. That's right. Perhaps not surprisingly, now they're like, oh, we'd like to be on side with the people who are going to put a check on Russia. Finland, no stranger to... Certainly, Russia. they they actually have by far the longest land border in Europe. Uh, maybe, actually, actually, maybe it's smaller than that of Ukraine. But in the European Union, yeah. they have the largest land border with Russia. Sweden, in fact, has no land border with Russia, but they have just you know, only Finland in between. That's right, and and of course they have the Baltics. They are uh, both Sweden and Russia are literal states of the. I'm not sure. Maybe it's pronounced littoral. Anyway, mm-hmm. they're both on the Baltic Sea. Yeah. So. Obviously, those two want in, and Ukraine wants in, but it has to be after the war. You can't, yes, like, that's right. You can't retroactively bring all of NATO into this war. You'd cause World War III. Yes, and so the the failure to secure a timetable for their accession. Yes, this be, angered Zelensky. Yes, quite a lot, and he said it was absurd. Was the word he used that that they that this did not happen? I mean, he popped off. It was pretty. It was yes. pretty forceful, uh, and. Uh, then, uh, the, by the following day, for instance, he met with President Biden, uh, and and Biden uh, kind of smoothed it over, right? It seemed that way, yeah. I mean, Biden no one, was like, "Zelensky's going to be fine." Yeah, he didn't spike the football or anything, but it seemed that he'd sort of given a, a number of reassurances, uh, and so Zelensky's tone the following day was much more emollient, right? Uh, he he seemed to have been placated. One thing he did get was uh, a uh, sequence of security guarantees from the G7 countries. Uh, And so that seemed to to help uh, uh, ease his mind a little bit. Uh, And then, of course, uh, after the summit was over, President Biden traveled on to Finland, uh, NATO's newest member. Uh, He gave a rousing speech there, uh, and it was a terrific speech. He did, however, also say that Putin had already lost the war. Now, John and our regular listeners, you know very well, I don't like to hear anybody say this. I don't care if it's Joe Biden or anybody else, because if he's already lost the war, well, I guess they don't need any more weapons now, do they? I mean, this is just absurd, right? Uh, And uh, I hope that didn't have any impact on subsequent events. I guess it might have. Uh, we, uh, you know, we may never know. Uh, actually, to back up a little bit, before the summit started, uh, it was announced that the United States would be providing cluster musicians. I'm sorry, cluster munitions, not musicians. Uh, to I Ukraine. know a couple of those. Yes, I know <laughs> one or two. Uh, and this was. Pretty controversial. These are, you know, a lot of people. Because they are, don't detonate, right? And they can just kind of stay in the landscape dangerously. Well, the, or they, some, there's been an error rate with some of them. That's right. Uh, and so the repost from Ukraine was first of all, Russia's already using these munitions on our territory. We're, it's, we're going to be using them on our territory. Uh, and so 
uh, we're the ones who are going to have to clean up after it's over right. anyway. So what's it to you, buddy? Right. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah. And and there was also uh, more quietly that it basic admission that this is kind of all we have got left. Right. Uh, we can't we haven't been able to ramp up conventional musician mean, uh, munitions manufacturing fast enough. Uh, so we've got to go with this stuff. That's uh, disturbing, shall we say. Well, um, there's no political will in the United States or any of the other Ukrainian allies to put economies and manufacturing bases on, you know, war footing. I well, mean, not just that, but for instance, the last time that the United States did this, uh, it had lots of unused factory capacity and millions of unemployed workers. You're talking about at the start of the Second World War. That's right. right. And and, and n- neither of those situations pertains yeah. today, right. by a long shot, I might add. Right. Uh, and so even if there there was the will, right, the capacity simply isn't there. Right. Uh, and so that, you know, again, we're trying to ramp up these things as quickly as we can. But if that's the reason we had to provide cluster mun- munitions, uh, that's just disquieting again, shall we say. Uh, but on the whole, the NATO summit was viewed in this country anyway as very positive development for uh, President Biden. Uh and his speech was great. <clears throat> the problem I'm having a little bit, and not to delve too far into domestic politics, was that it's beginning to seem like this is his favorite thing about being president. Well, we've uh, had that before, Richard yeah, Nixon. Sure, but uh, that's not the top of mind issue for most Americans, right? Uh, and I mean, I, don't, I think people are generally supportive of Ukraine still to this day. Uh, <clears throat> but if... Biden is most enthusiastic about this above all his other duties in uh, as president, then I think maybe he want to, might want to recalibrate that a little bit. It's not that he's been devoid of messaging on other issues, uh, uh, but for instance, he's been talking a lot about Bidenomics, which we've discussed on this show before. Uh, and that seems to be uh, going forward will be a plank of his campaign. But I believe when the inflation numbers came out, he said Bidenomics are working. Absolutely. He did, he did in fact, say yeah. that. <laughs> so again, we'll see how that plays out in the future. But on the whole, the NATO summit went rather well. I think especially that that Biden was seen to be the person to calm Zelensky down, right? Things like that, I think, are just can be very resonant, at least in international affairs circles. Uh, and so I think that uh, on the whole went very well. I'm just kind of running through presidents prior to Biden, I don't think we've had the level of foreign affairs experience in a president since H.W. Bush. I think that's right. Yes. And there is something I think fundamentally reassuring, again, not to get too far into politics, but the American voter, I I do think perhaps subconsciously appreciates our guy being a grown up. Yeah, I, I mean, as long as things continue to continue to not go catastrophically badly. Sure. Yeah. Right. Uh and, you know, as soon as they do, that could all change. We'll see. Again, yeah. you know, the election's not for another year plus, so we can worry about that later. Speaking of not having global conflict, 
John Kerry, our climate envoy, the United States climate envoy visiting Beijing, as I mentioned at the top of the show, third high level uh, administration figure to visit Beijing, um, what, in the last eight weeks? Something like that, yes. I mean, it's been a busy summer. Yes. Uh, which is very good because you do not want the two uh, big powers of the world not talking. Yeah, and especially uh, – now, we should say that very little of consequence seemed to have come out of this meeting, which was – Which is the third one in a row. Yeah, four hours long, though, right? So it's not yeah. like they didn't – And three days it. in total when he, he yeah, was there. Yeah, and so uh, it, it does seem sort of – you know, perhaps they discussed many things that they just didn't feel – they wanted to share with everybody, but it's good that the that the talks took place. Are you aware of how many different folks Kerry met with? So he met with his counterpart, who is uh, Xia Zhenghua, who is the Chinese climate. I don't know if it's envoy or czar or whatever we want to say. Commissar, perhaps. Yeah, right. right. Uh, the top diplomat, the Secretary Wang of State Yi. Wang yeah, Yi, yeah. and then the Vice President as uh, as well, uh, Han Zhen. That's right. Whom Janet Yellen also met with, actually. She met with both the premier and the vice premier. Right. Uh, uh, the, the Chinese have a deep roster of high-ranking officials. Well, I mean, it's an enormous I guess, uh, yeah. organization, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, and, you know, a lot of... I mean, also, of, like, Kerry's kind of a talker, right? So I could see him, like, sure, spending right? a lot of time well, with not all these just people. that. It's just like, if you're one of these guys on the other side, and by the way, they are all guys. Uh, right. Good point. Uh you want to get your licks in, right? So, well, I, you know, I mean, what am I, chopped liver? I don't get to be, you know, so uh, uh, you want to sort of, you know, rep rep the team and stuff like this, right? Because you've got competitors. Uh, you know, we're not privy to the details of those conversations. No, but I bet but, Chinese internal domestic politics is pretty cutthroat. Oh, inside the party? Yeah, I'm I sure. Bet, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's you pretty know, tough. But, but again, we don't, you know, they don't go blabbing to the press about it. Right. Right. Uh, And so we don't really know much about it, but I can guarantee you it does happen. So Uh, Kerry met with all these people and basically, well, no, not basically. This is his quote. There are a lot of things we very clearly agreed on after all this time, but he didn't really elaborate. Right. And China's the world's biggest polluter. Yeah. It's a big deal to get them on side. It's we talked about before we started the show. This summer is record heat. All this over. This is this is the most important issue in the world right now, for my money, anyway. Right? China's having a terrible heat wave right now, as are we, as is Europe, and right? it's messing with their crop yields. I mean, the, yes, and their economy is doing very poorly, uh, and so uh, it's really vital that these meetings take place if any sort of progress is going to be made going forward, which is just. It's so maddening to me. Like here in Los Angeles, uh, we've just been very fortunate that we're barely outside the heat dome. It's actually very pleasant here, right? But almost every other part of the country is having just awful. I just came from Reno where it's going to be 100 degrees today. And, you know, I, I know folks in the Reno area who've lived there for decades. And, you know, homes didn't used to have air conditioning there. It wasn't necessary. Yeah, and, well, and now they're getting not quite Vegas like, but triple digits. It's it's happening. Yeah, and 
uh, you know, you could go all the way down to ocean temperatures and off the coast of Florida are in the 90s. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's just disgusting. Uh, but with anyway. real consequences with weather and related migratory stuff for fish. I mean, it could really mess with a lot of things. Absolutely. And a lot of the scientists are saying that uh, uh, not that there's no consensus yet, mind you. But many scientists are saying that the, the feedback loop seemed to be twirling faster yeah. than they than the models had predicted. Uh, and that's if that keeps up, this could get very bad. That that is what we're looking at now. Uh forget the new normal. This could be benign compared to what's coming down the pipe. We don't know that yet. We're gonna have to find out. But it's I can guarantee you it's not going to get much better. Uh, and that's a sobering thing to think about. Speaking of China, last week they accused the United States of, quote, ganging up on China and forcing the Chinese to accept the 2016 arbitration ruling from an international body, um, basically telling China to go pound sand that they can't claim the South China Sea. And right. China's ignored this and they have harassed ships in the South China Sea of various nationalities. $3 trillion worth of seaborne goods pass through the South China Sea every year. Yeah. So lots of countries are interested in everybody being cool here, man. Well, not just that, but uh, China's claims to the sea are ridiculous. I mean, if you look at the, the map of the nine dash line, which is the, the, the parlance in the international affairs, that we use to refer to their claims. It's ridiculous, right? It, it's been compared to a cow's tongue, right? That sort of drops down hundreds of miles from uh, the southern coast of China around the, the entire periphery of the South China Sea, very far from the coast of China and very close to the coasts of the Philippines, Vietnam, Brunei, Malaysia, Malaysia, think, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's all of them. But there there might be one or two. But that's uh, a lot of people who yeah, don't want the Chinese claiming water just off their beach. Correct. So and, seven years ago, the Permanent Court of Arbitration in The Hague said, "Nah, China, that no." Yes, and they appealed, uh, and the court came back and said, "What? <laughs> I mean, did, no, you it, still can't have all this." Yeah, is, 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 did something change? No, right. Uh, and so China got very angry, as you say, right? Uh, and it's funny that they accused the United States of enlisting allies. They actually used the word allies, right, to gang up on China. I'm like, uh, Vietnam isn't really an ally of the United States. I mean, we, we you know, have trade we're with friendly, them. friendly, yeah. Yeah, but we're not an ally, right? Uh, I don't think we're having high-level talks with the Vietnamese to resupply the Ukrainians, for example. No, certainly not. Uh, however... On the same day that the International Court of Arbitration came down with this updated ruling, uh, the the Chinese also issued another statement from, I guess, a different department or whatever, uh, uh, that they were in talks with ASEAN, right, which was actually had was holding their foreign ministers su su uh, summit at that moment. ASEAN, that is, is the Association of Southeast Asian nations, right? Which generally doesn't do a whole lot, right? But they do meet all, you know, every year, just like every other, you know, international body. Uh, and they include 
all these other uh basically all of the all of the nations that that also bordered it the south china sea so the so, philippines and malaysia yeah, were not yeah no we're not right there there and so it, it's perhaps coincidental that this ruling came down at the same time as the asean foreign ministers summit right uh, but they said okay look we're gonna work with asean we'll figure this out uh and by the way uh uh Guest observers at the ASEAN Foreign Ministers Summit included Secretary of State Antony Blinken and his Chinese counterpart Wang Yi, who met again on the sidelines of the ASEAN Summit. Since they're not members, you know, they don't really have to take part in any of the the you know main discussions. So well, well let's have a chat, right? Uh, and so that's good, right? There's a, an additional high level uh, U.S. China meeting uh, that was able to take place quietly, by the way. Uh, so now I don't want to go too far into this. I have not seen the Barbie movie and I have no intention of doing so. That would uh, be, that would make two of us. Right. And both the Philippines and Vietnam have announced that the Barbie movie will not be shown in their countries because it includes a scene in which Barbie is standing in front of a map of East Asia, which includes the nine-dash line, that is, China's claimed maritime border, uh, on the map. Uh, and, so, and this is because Hollywood wants to be able to export yes, this movie to this the Chinese market. Hollywood prostituting yes, you're right. uh, for a, of an authoritarian regime, not for the first time, no. by the way. Uh, and this is not limited just to Hollywood. We've seen it in the NBA. We've seen it. Yeah. Now, mind you, this is not that. This is my interpretation, right? If one of our listeners can explain to me that there's some other reason why the South China Sea, the South China Sea, should be appearing in the scene in the Barbie movie, I would love to hear what that reason might be. Until that time, I'm going to stick with the prostitution characterization. Yeah, I think it's a safe assumption. Uh, and it's revolting, right? And by the way, uh, all the actors and writers that are on strike here in Hollywood, uh, good luck. You're dealing with, this is the industry that you're dealing with. It right. has no moral compass. Uh, and so if you think that they're going to be moved by considerations such as that, forget about it. Am I correct in understanding the reporting around this South China Sea arbitration appeal ruling in that the Philippines seem to be at the forefront of the um, countries in the neighborhood who ha had the most uh, pronounced complaints about it? Yes, I would say that's true. Yeah. And I and think that any that, particular reason that you can think of, or is it their traditional? I, I think it's because they probably have a, a, a larger maritime sort of based economy. Right. right, and they yeah. have more coastline there. Yeah, they're an island nation. Uh, they get by more on fishing and stuff like that right. than, than uh, the other countries. That would be my guess. I don't know. Can we talk about the grain? Yeah, I think we should. Uh, now, the Okay, so there was a grain deal that has been in place for a year by which Russia and Ukraine, who are in a war, decided to go hands-off grain shipments coming out of the Black Sea. Yes, the top two grain producers in the world. Right. The, so 
the world eats bread from this grain. That's right. But perhaps they're only the top two exporters. But at, at any rate, uh, uh, and yes, and because and Russia has now said we're taking our ball, we're going home, and we reserve the right to blow up your grain ships. Yes, to which Ukraine, Ukraine yes. reciprocated. Yeah. That, oh, yeah, well, well, we'll blow up your ships, too. Now, as we talked about before we got started, neither side has U-boats, right, that are going to be, well, certainly the Ukrainians don't. I suppose the Russians could put an attack sub yeah. in the Black Sea, and maybe they have several. They, they probably have some. The Russians that, but... would have the greater naval capability to really inflict damage on by far yeah. Ukrainian exports. and. Sure. Ukrainian grain exports feed the developing world. Yes. Right? The experts are saying people will die because of this. Oh, that's certainly true. Yes. And as you and I have pointed out before getting started here uh, recording, the fascinating thing is not a shot needs to be fired to completely disrupt the supply of food out from Ukraine. That's correct. Uh, uh, the scholar that we saw on, on the DW program last night, uh, Elizabeth Bra of the American Enterprise Institute based in London, she pointed out that it's basically an insurance issue, right? Uh, no maritime shipper will be able to get insurance to ship grain out of the Black Sea. And so they're just not going to bother to even try to do it. Never mind whether you're going to get shelled, right? It's just that the, you're not going to send your ships. She also mentioned that Russia has a, already has a, a, a clandestine network of smugglers that are smuggling all manner of goods in and out of Russia all the time. Uh, and so they're going to be shipping their grain out anyway. The, re the recipient countries will be happy to get it because they'll be able to get a discount on it because they're helping Russia evade sanctions. Uh, this, is going, this is going to be very bad. It will make inflation worse, by the way, uh, all across the world, but perhaps not so much here. Uh, but it's at this point that I want to return to the rumored phone call between Erdogan and Putin, right? Uh, now, again, if this call actually took place, I think, for instance, a lot of people have been speculating that Putin was going to end the grain deal anyway, long before, weeks before he actually did it. I think it's very possible that he said to Erdogan, who, by the way, helped negotiate the deal a year ago, right? Uh, much Turkey his, is the southern shore of the Black Sea. Yes, much to his international credit right uh uh and helped him come off as a great statesman right uh i think putin may very well have said to erdogan that's over right i'm not gonna stick with this deal anymore uh and uh that if that did occur it might have helped erdogan reverse course on sweden right uh because it, it's let's face it at least moderately embarrassing for him to have this deal that is widely credited to him fall by the wayside. So it helped him to have an international relations victory by by allowing Sweden to join NATO. Uh, I don't know that any of this happened. It's a nice little story, though, I think we have to admit. I love the gossip. I love diplomatic gossip. It's fantastic. It's I, I just yeah. I want to point out that the UN World Food Program Yes. Additionally, beyond what the natural exports of grain from Ukraine are, ship some nearly three quarters of a million metric tons of Ukrainian grain to Afghanistan, Djibouti, Ethiopia, Kenya, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen uh, since this grain deal began. 
That's right. right. This is a staggering amount of affordable grain for the developing world. That's and right. it's going to be choked off. And by the way, the Russians aren't relying on the insurance company to do this for them. They've been shelling Odessa. Which is the main port. Yeah. yeah, the main port of Ukraine on the Black Sea all this week uh, on an unprecedented level, far more than they have throughout the war so far. Uh, and and the Ukrainians say that they've already destroyed 60,000 tons of grain. Uh, so this is no screwing around. Uh, and yeah, people are going to be starving to death because of this. Again, as we have mentioned before, this, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is this kind of farcical redo of so many 20th century aggressive wars by European powers. The unrestricted submarine warfare led direct in the Atlantic, led directly to the United States getting involved in the First World War and had Pearl Harbor not happened, probably would have gotten the United States involved in the European theater in the Second World War. That's right. But this is a different order, right? Uh, You know, yes, it was a terrible uh, war. But for instance, during the World Wars, there was no UN food program, right? right? There was no interruption of grain supplies to poor countries uh, that depended upon them. Right. So this aspect of it is new to this war. This is yeah, the humanitarian fallout. Is, yeah, this is, is a, unprecedented. And it's I wonder, for example, uh, if. Putin might be in some way reacting to the the Wagner mutiny, which, let's face it, did make him look weak. I don't it actually I don't think it actually threatens his power. Right. But it was certainly an embarrassment for him. And he just sort of seems to be lashing out uh, because he's been trying to position himself as a champion of the global South throughout this conflict. But it's difficult to see how any of those countries could interpret this in any other way than he's letting them starve. Right. However, there was a mass grave discovered in Western Darfur a week or two ago. Uh, a week and a half or so ago uh, that was about a month old uh, as a result of the ongoing conflict in Sudan, which is a country about the same size in geography and population as Ukraine that we don't hear about anywhere near as much as we hear about Ukraine. And this is a situation that has not improved at all. In fact, it's only gotten much worse. And yet somehow Nothing is being done about it. Now, there's no issues of international sovereignty and things like this involved, as we've discussed. No nuclear powers involved either. No nuclear power involved or anything like that. But nobody seems to even begin to want to exert even a fraction of the effort involved in Ukraine and in Sudan. Uh, And that, uh, more than anything, helps shore up Putin's position in the global south, no matter how much he seems to be wanting to, to throw it all away this week. Uh, just to put a quick summary around that mass grave, it was about 90 people, uh, or 90 bodies rather, were discovered in a mass grave in Darfur, which is the western part of Sudan. Yeah. Uh, the uh, rapid support forces, the paramilitary group, uh, are thought to be responsible for that. Yes, or at least militia linked to them. Right. Questions, comments, suggestions, story ideas, Media at gmail.com. For Sam Park, I'm John Ramey. Thanks for joining us and have yourselves a great weekend. We'll talk next week. Stay cool, everybody. 